0: Good morning. Good morning. It is Thursday, August the 5th. I thought it was Thursday yesterday for part of the day, but today is actually Thursday. Good morning. So, summer reading. Summer reading. Did you make a summer reading list? Did you buy some books to read this summer? And then did you actually read them? That is a question. This morning, I made a comment the other day comparing the reading of the Senate's infrastructure bill to the undertaking of the reading of the Bible and. Uh, I subsequently challenged us to consider how much actual cumulative time we spend on social media or media consumption in general versus the actual cumulative time we spend intentionally reading the word of God. And uh, you guys let me know that both comments were convicting. One friend challenged my characterization uh, of the comparing, you know, the need for the members of the Senate before they vote on it to actually read the infrastructure bill, which is mammothly long. Uh, nearly twice as long as the Bible, and and challenged my characterization and then asked for some empirical evidence that people were lying about what they were reading. And so here's what I found. We don't read, and then we lie about what we don't read. There you go. That's the empirical evidence that I have found uh, to support my notion that, well, we don't read, and then, well, frankly, we lie about what we do read. So uh, booknerdalert.com, Uh, is where you could go to find the 70 books that people lie about reading. You could also find there um, some empirical evidence uh, aggregated by the BBC. The book most people have lied about reading. Uh, Surprisingly, it is not what you might suspect it is. So what do you, you know, just off the top of your head, what book do you think people lie most about reading? Now, if you said the Bible, then you're giving away your sphere of influence, your circle of friendship. Um, because come to find out, the Bible is like 26th on the list of books people lie about having read or lie about reading. So the, the Bible comes in at number 26, which I found quite curious. Uh, here's the reason the Bible comes in 26th on the list. Uh, it doesn't make the reading list for most people in the first place. So why would they read about having read it if they never even thought about reading it? So it gets, uh, uh, it doesn't get lied about as much because it doesn't make the list as often as, let's say, uh, books like, well, let me just click here on the list, the 70 books people lie most about reading. Number one, Alice, uh, Alice's Adventures in Wonderland. Okay, don't lie about that. Just go read it. 1984 by George Orwell. Apparently, a lot of people lying about that. Lord of the Rings trilogy. That's because people saw the movies. War and Peace is number four. I think a lot of people guess War and Peace is number one. Most people have not read War and Peace. Why not? Because it's long. All right, it goes on from there. Lots of people lying about To Kill a Mockingbird. That's because we were all signed it to read in high school, and so we all lie. We all lied then about reading it, and, and a lot of people apparently lie now. There you go. But it's worth reading. Okay. The Bible, number 26 on the list of the books people most lie about having read. So in 2021, a survey found that 11 percent of Americans read the Bible every day. I am hoping that you are in that 11 percent. I am in that 11 percent, but 11 percent seems terribly low. So trends in reading habits over the past four years show that the majority of Americans, the majority of Americans, more than 50 percent of Americans, never read the Bible. They're not lying about it either. They never read the Bible. The 2021 number dropped to 29 percent of respondents, Americans who say they ever read the Bible, ever. So Slightly less than 30% of people in America today read ever read the Bible. 11% read it every day. And so when you wonder why the nation is not operating on the kingdom or biblical principles that you find in the scriptures, if when you wonder why uh, God has sent you as a missionary to America, why you are planted right where you're planted, well, this is it. Because you actually have access to information, you have knowledge, you have an awareness, you have values, that the overwhelming majority of Americans, not only do they not share those, they haven't even read about them. They don't know anything about them. And so when we make the assumption that people know some reference, some scriptural reference that we make, when we assume that when people hear, oh, that person is a good Samaritan, when we assume they know the backstory of the Good Samaritan, from the Bible, yeah, we're wrong. When, when we think a casual reference to uh, the Golden Rule, do unto others as you would have them do unto you, when we assume that people know that comes from the Bible, we're wrong. So where in the word are you today? Let's be people who are in the word. Let's uh, you know be an active part, a robust part of the 11% of Americans who are reading the Bible every day as we seek to bring the mind of Christ to bear on the headline news of this day. Turning to the headline news with Ben Johnson, media reporter from The Daily Wire, up next.
2: is my right. My right given by God. To live a free life. To live in freedom.
0: Joining me now Ben Johnson. You can find him at dailywire.com. You can also find him on Twitter. He is the rights writer. Ben, welcome back. Good morning, Carmen. Good morning. What's um? Uh, what's the? What would you have guessed was the book that people most lie about having read?
1: I would have made the guess that probably most of the audience would have made, uh, which is to say, the Bible. So I was I was surprised it was Alice in Wonderland. Paul
0: Paul Perot has a really good answer to the question. Paul Perot, what what do you think is in reality the most lied about book? Mm, it was my seventh grade social studies book
1: from McGraw <laughs> Hill. I hated that book. <laughs> <laughs>
0: All mm-hmm. All right. So, Ben, the White House announced on Friday a slate of nominations and appointments for what I will describe as religious liberty, uh, religious affairs roles, uh, the U.S. ambassador at large for international religious freedom, as well as uh, nominees to serve on um, uh, on the council. So or on the commission. So tell us about these appointments
1: yeah uh, some of them are uh, somewhat noteworthy uh, quite uh, quite obviously. the uh, of course we've uh, always known about Sam Brownback, former us senator, former governor of Kansas, uh, ran for president. Uh, he has uh, he has been leading that agency for quite a long time. but where um, where it may have uh, may be a little bit more noteworthy, you're having the uh, very first Muslim nominee, Muslim American nominee, uh, in the form of uh, someone who at one time, Uh, was an advisor to Barack Obama, Uh, that's uh, a gentleman by the name of Rashad Hussein. Uh, Now he's uh, obviously a Muslim American of uh, Indian background, uh, Indian uh, parents, but uh, he was a a former envoy to the Organization of Islamic Cooperation. Uh, He was recruited by Greg Craig, worked with Ben Rhodes, so, uh, you know, his, his Obama connection raises more eyebrows for me than, than his, uh, his background uh, in, in that regard. But uh, also uh, Deborah Lipstadt, who uh, many of your uh, listeners might know, uh, she wrote a book, she wrote several books on Holocaust denial. Uh, they, of course, uh, unfortunately, there are many what are known as revisionist historians who to this day deny that the Holocaust ever took place. And so she's been heavily involved in keeping alive the memory of the Holocaust and establishing the historical reality, uh, the historicity, preserving the evidence of the Holocaust. Uh, And then Khazar Khan, uh, people might remember him from the Democratic Convention. Uh, He and his wife both spoke in 2016 uh, as Gold Star parents uh, talking about their son who died in Iraq in 2004, uh, because at uh, that time, uh, there was talk of Donald Trump uh, instigating a, a so-called Muslim ban, but uh, of course, ultimately, that that ended up being a ban more or less on certain countries and not on uh, Islamic immigrants, of course, altogether. But that's uh, those are those are the names that people would probably know the best. Uh, those three, so uh, two Muslims and then Deborah Lipstadt. So, um, you know, uh, quite a quite a slate. But uh, you, you've got obviously two Muslims. Uh, According to uh, the announcement from the Biden administration, they're going to focus on religious freedom in the Islamic world. And if they can make any headway there, he he believes that they can make headway because of their background. And obviously that's an area that every human rights agency, uh, every freedom organization, for example, Freedom House and others and the, and, the U.S. government, Are quite candid about the fact that there's religious persecution for minorities in those areas. So, if he can make any difference, or if any of them can make any difference in that area, uh, they will certainly be well to the good.
0: I think um, that maybe there's a fourth candidate on the list who people will find interesting, uh, and not least of which because of the person to whom she is married. So, one of the other nominees uh, to the commission, and she's actually served on the commission before, I should have. she served in 2020, but Rabbi Sharon Kleinbaum, who is the head of a New York City-based congreg- Jewish congregation that uh, was founded and formed to be LGBTQ welcoming. It's a very progressive synagogue, um, and she is the human rights advocate um, related to LGBTQ concerns, and she is, um, she's married to the guy who heads up the teachers' union. Yeah, the American Federation of Teachers. Her husband is the president of the American Federation of Teachers. Anyway, I just find the whole thing interesting. All right, so um, I think there's a, there's a lot to watch there as uh, that commission gets rocking and rolling. Hey, Ben, let's take a very brief break. When we come back, let's talk about, uh, let's touch on disability rights. And when we talk about the rights of Americans and we talk about those guaranteed under the Constitution, I would say that people who experience disabilities of one form or another it often... You know, often do not receive all of the benefits um, due them as citizens of the country. And religious institutions have been slow to accommodate this particular vulnerable population. So let's talk about that next. I'm talking with Ben Johnson from The Daily Wire. You can find him uh, on Twitter at The Rights Writer. We'll be right back. Wow, you guys are really interested in the books people are not reading and lying about. So thank you for all of your engagement on the text line this morning. You can text me at 877-933-2484. continuing my conversation with Ben Johnson. All right, Ben, let's talk about um, the rights that people who suffer with disabilities or are challenged with disabilities, um, let's talk about their rights and why religious institutions have been slow to accommodate them.
1: Yeah and of course uh, when we think of people with disabilities uh, often our our thoughts go to the gospel and uh, the heal or the book of acts and uh, you know the apostle peter and paul walking along and and uh, seeing someone and uh, healing them so you know the apostle peter silver and gold have i none yet such as i have i give unto you and raising them up and and giving them the ability and them going off walking and leaping and uh, for joy and uh, so and and particularly with certain strains of christianity uh, sickness or disability is is almost looked down as as a lack of faith uh, within within that uh, within our gospel uh, understanding of course that's that 's uh, i believe uh, incorrect one hundred and ten percent incorrect uh, it 's a sign of uh, certainly the first sin that brought sin in and uh, death, and with that all sorts of pain and disability and things that God never intended for mankind to suffer from. But uh, these are not signs that God has cursed anyone. You know, when Jesus was asked who sinned that this man was born blind, him or his parents, uh, he, he said very clearly that this was this was uh, to bring about the glory of God. It was not something that uh, had been earned or, or uh, that had been brought about as a curse because of a lack of faith. These are just things that happen. And because of that, we want to reach as many people as we possibly can of all different backgrounds, And uh, quite often that means having to adapt our sacred space, it means having to enlarge doors, it means making them handicap accessible, finding ways to communicate with people if there are challenges there in terms of uh, reading or or hearing or uh, sight or whatever it may be. Uh, If there are cognitive issues, then it means communicating with them perhaps one-on-one in order to make sure that they understand the message that's being communicated, the message of the gospel that brings salvific power. So all of that is incredibly important, and yet uh, it's it's certainly true that, uh, you know, for example, the Americans with Disabilities Act has exemptions for religious organizations uh, because when it was passed in uh, 1990 under George H.W. Bush, uh, it was it was made it was clear that this was going to require large innovation, a huge expenditure of money, and people wanted to make sure that that wasn't burdening burdening the churches and synagogues and mosques and other organizations would be uh, susceptible to, um, to to such a, a great burden. So they they made an exemption for that, but it's it's something that we have to make sure is on our radar because it it's assuring that we cast the widest possible net of the gospel to everyone. Uh, to whom it uh, is intended, which is the entire world. And uh, quite often uh, our buildings are not accessible. Uh, our services are not uh, capable of being understood by others. Uh, we don't have a one-on-one uh, ministry for those who uh, are not part of it. So uh, it's it's something that uh, is a real challenge to make sure that we are, we are communicating the gospel and in- incorporating every member of the body of Christ, uh, as as was intended by Jesus Christ Himself.
0: It's the right thing to do, and so um, encouraging folks to check out resources like Key Ministry if you're looking for ways to uh, make your local congregation and its environment more welcoming and accessible for families um, with individuals with disabilities. Uh, OK, so um, let's uh, let's take a minute to talk about what's screaming headlines across the country, even though most of us don't live in New York state. But there's a real conflict of interest. We talked about the Cuomo situation yesterday in terms of the legal details with David French. But let's talk a little bit about the media um, issues that uh, that you've got a piece posted on at Dailywire.com dot com right now related to CNN.
1: Yeah, and, and of course, you know, Andrew Cuomo is national headlines in part because he's uh, he's something of a media creation. Of course, he's been in the spotlight uh, for, for 40 years now because of his father, Mario Cuomo, who served three terms as governor of New York. He's a three-term governor, and he's facing multiple scandals, not just with uh, the sexual harassment, which has all the headlines. But uh, you know, let's not forget there's also the issue of uh, placing COVID-positive patients in nursing homes, and then covering up the number of deaths that that brought about, which to me is a much greater scandal. This is human life on the line. And that's uh, been downgraded in large part, uh, I think because the media has less of an interest uh, in in that issue. But of course the the media angle is that his brother is CNN's top rated host. You know, Chris Cuomo has the number one show on CNN. And when when this came about uh, this, uh, Letitia James, the attorney general of New York state released 165 page reports, 70,000 pieces of evidence, and a lot of that was testimony of a one Christopher Cuomo. Uh, So uh, as it turns out, uh, Chris Cuomo was advising his brother while he was working at CNN on how to respond to media. And even uh, according to some of the documents that we find in the appendices of uh, this report, he was drafting media statements for his brother. So he's reporting on things and then he's drafting media statements. Uh, now CNN had a policy where he couldn't cover his brother. Of course, they relaxed that during COVID, so you saw the the brothers' comedy act <laughs> going back and forth, uh, and and they were really very humorous and everything else. And I, and I really do feel for for Chris at a certain level. Obviously, this is this is a great uh, challenge for him. In a case like that, you have to be transparent to your employer that you've been asked by your brother. Uh, who who is a major national player in one of the two political parties, one time was talked about as being drafted into the 2020 Democratic presidential primaries, uh, that you've been asked to advise him on how to handle media, and uh, you be transparent with him that you're doing this. If necessary, you take a leave of absence. But uh, instead, he's just avoided the issue on the air altogether. He, He talked about nothing but COVID on his program for the last two days, more or less solid. And he, he interviewed uh, America's Got Talent uh, singer Nightbird last night, which was a very touching interview. But, uh, it, it, you know, he's not talking about the number one story in America on the number one rated show on the network that considers itself the number one news network on cable. So you're ip- ipso facto denying your viewers information on the top story in the country by keeping him in this place. And there've been no ramifications, no consequences, uh, not, not that there ever seemed to be, but there've been no consequences for him in this or some of the other scandals that uh, he's been involved in. Been questions about whether his brother uh, gave him preferential treatment in receiving rapid COVID tests when he was COVID positive uh, during the early days when tests were hard to come by. So there are a lot of issues here and CNN really needs to to look into its ethics and ask itself whether it is living by journalistic ethics or not, and if not, uh, does it care? Uh, and do its viewers care? Uh, at this point, uh, you know, I, I think we've come to a breaking point where they need to deal with Chris Cuomo, and either have him take a leave of absence and have someone fill in for him, or have a segment at the top of the hour where someone else comes in. Uh, you know, the, maybe uh, Wolf Blitzer comes in and and hosts a segment on uh, on his brother Andrew Cuomo. And they need to address the fact that he was playing essentially both sides of the fence, reporting on things and then advising his brother on how to handle his colleagues at CNN.
0: Yeah, and, and Chris Cuomo doesn't just have uh, a television presence on CNN. He also uh, spends a couple of hours in the middle of the day uh, to, uh On radio, he has a Sirius XM radio show on uh, on POTUS, which is the politics of the United States for the people of the United States, and it is a widely listened to radio broadcast with no filters and no. um, I mean, you you talk about at least on CNN, there are some you know corporate oversight making decisions. Uh, It's just total free play uh, when it comes to his radio program. So it's just an interesting. Uh, apparently they don't have um, the restrictions on XM that we might have by the FCC on, you know, live terrestrial radio. So mm-hmm. Ben, as always, thank you. Thank you so much. We don't have time to talk about the NPR article that you have posted right now at dailywire.com, but I commend it to our listeners um, for them to read today. Thanks always so much.
1: Thank you. God bless, Carmen.
0: Likewise. All right. got to take a break uh, for Knowing God with Greg Laurie, and we'll be right back. I do love you guys. Um, Thank you so much for your ongoing prayers. A friend texted in asking about Matt Hawkins, who is a regular Friday contributor here on the program. We've been praying for Matt as he was going in to have uh, open heart surgery. He's a really young guy, by the way, uh, in his 30s. And so this is, you know, just something really uh, challenging. I wanted to let you know that not only was his surgery successful, took place on the 29th uh, of July, not only was his surgery successful, he's already uh, home, which I find totally extraordinary. So his his step down into the ICU and then his step down into a regular room and then right out the door of the hospital. uh, And so he's communicated with us on social media. He actually looks surprisingly good and his spirits are good. He's very, very thankful for all of our prayers. Let's continue praying for the Hawkins family. For those of you who are uh, knowledgeable of and praying for my friend Susan and her husband, God in his great mercy took Ken home uh, last evening, but you know, prayers certainly continuing for families uh, across the country and around the world who deal with grief. And I'm just so thankful that we do not grieve as those who have no hope. Um, we grieve as people who are confident in the goodness and the grace of God. We know we know Jesus, and we know the power of resurrection, and we know where we're going, and we know we're, where we're going to spend eternity with whom. And, um, and so we don't, we grieve, but we don't grieve as those who have no hope. And so thank you for your ongoing prayers on so many fronts, and let's be praying for each other. We're going to talk about prayer with Kathy Branzell next. She is the head of the National Day of Prayer Task Force, and a prayer warrior, and a good friend. So that's up next here on Mornings with Carmen.
1: Are you a patient person? Does your temper flare when the line is too long at the bank? Are you one of those drivers who pounds the steering wheel when there's traffic? Hi, I'm Mark Gregston with Parenting Today's Teens. Patience while waiting on line or on the highway is one thing. But it's never more needed than when parenting teens. I say it's the most important test of your competence as a mom or dad. Your teen will make mistakes. He'll forget his responsibilities or make a fool of himself in conversation. But it's just one more moment to take a deep breath and choose to love him anyway. We need to be patient, just as God is patient with us. And we need to pass along the same kind of grace and mercy... To our teens. There's more from Mark Grayston on Parenting Today's Teens website. Get helpful tips for moms and dads when you visit ParentingToday'sTeens.org.
0: Start our conversation with Kathy Branzell. Um, I have to do a little cleanup on aisle four. Yes, yes. I'm so sorry. I didn't give you an update on my brother in law, Joe. He is doing what I will describe as incrementally better. The good news is they did not have to put him on a ventilator. He is incrementally improving uh, from not only COVID, but from COVID pneumonia. And yes, The muffins delivered yesterday uh, that I made from the apple remnants, uh, he described them as medicinal and asked today if I would bring homemade soup. So there you go. That's what's on the menu for Joe. He's doing great. Thank you so very much. And for those who asked, yes, Susan, um, whose husband, Ken, passed away yesterday, Susan is a fellow listener. And so thank you for lifting her up as a part of Of our faith radio community today. Really appreciate it. All right. Kathy Branzell joins us now. She's a dear friend. She's a prayer warrior. She heads up the National Day of Prayer Task Force. Kathy, welcome back.
2: Hey, good morning. Good to be back with you. It's so good to have you.
0: So um, let's talk today about prayer and to whom do we pray. There's lots of conversation out there about to whom prayers are raised and how prayers are spoken and being sensitive to, you know, those around us. So can we just talk a little bit about to whom do we pray?
2: Oh, I'm so excited that we are talking about this. I love when the Holy Spirit is prompting people in the same subject at the same time and saying, okay, let's talk about this. So my first thought, thank you for sharing um, an update with us about Joe. And my first thought before we even started talking was uh, I was I was thanking God for hearing our prayers for Joe, for all the prayers that were lifted up. But but in a moment when we when we get a glory story, when we know that that um, that there has been incremental or remarkable improvement then we have to remember to run back just like the one leper did to say thank you you know jesus said weren't there weren't there a bunch of you you know um, and and so when we pray we are praying to the creator of the universe we are create, we are praying to the one who everything exists because he said, let it be. Mm. And um, I don't know that we really stop to think about entering into the throne room of heaven, entering into the presence and having the one true God have his have him incline his ear to hear our prayer. And um, it just... Uh, I mean just stop and take that in for a second Uh, when when you might get to in your lifetime sometime run into a movie star or a a sports uh, hero that you just love and adore or uh, even even a a well-known Christian whose books you've loved or Bible studies you've loved and what's the first thing you do when you meet that person see that person you immediately start praising them. You immediately start talking about how awesome they are, um, what they've meant to you in your life, how incredible they are. You just might even bumble over yourself um, talking about how great they are. Now, how much more should we do that with the Lord? When we pray, we've been allowed right into his presence. And so enter his gates with thanksgiving and his courts with praise bumble all over yourself with words of praise, Uh, go into the definitions. That's helpful to me, Uh, not just to know that he is sovereign and supreme, but then to talk about what that means in my life, that he is above and beyond everything else, that he is my first priority, that he is my king. He is my master. He is perfect. Um, that there is no fault in him, there is no delay in him, he's never late, he's never wrong. Um, and and in that praise moment, moments, we are strengthened because we remember who we're praying to and his power. Ian Bounds says, our prayers move the hands that move the universe, and it doesn't get any more powerful than that.
0: I think, um, Kathy, when you when you talk like that and I think about, you know, just how awestruck I am to be able to turn at any moment, I mean, in the moment of a moment and intentionally turn toward the Father and know that he's closer to me than my next breath. Yeah, he's yeah. above and beyond and he's sovereign over all and he's enthroned in heaven. But he's literally closer to us than our next breath. Um, and, and then when I realize I'm, because of Jesus, I have this access, this unfettered access to the Father, and I find myself in the throne room by the simple and yet extraordinary act of turning intentionally toward him in prayer yes. and when I consider that like there aren't words it is it it is it silences me, right, so there is this um, as you describe it, like this excited desire to glorify him. But I will also mm-hmm. say, I often find myself, when I consider him, I find myself uh, without words, dumbstruck, which, you know, for me is something to
2: say. Right there with you. And,
0: yeah. And so I just think that when we talk about awe, when we talk about who God really is, And the confusion in the culture about prayer, and the confusion in the culture about what prayer is or how it works, or, and I think there's confusion among Christians about prayer and how it works. This this idea that, you know, well, because I ask it, God must do it. No, that is actually yeah. not at all what we're talking about. And, you know, right. God is God, and God is sovereign, and God is good, and God's mercies are new every morning, and God's abounding in steadfast love. But God's still God, and God is still holy, right. and God has a plan, and God's working out His purposes in the context of human history. And so when the circumstances of my life don't line up with what I think God should be doing in answer to my prayer— you know the the challenge is to say to a person in that circumstance um you're not god like Correct. you know we ask we ask god we appeal to god we go to god but we still honor god as god and he is
2: god and we are not right right and and so then even think um in in terms of relationship you know that's what's incredible that what's that's what makes us different besides the fact that we have a living god who has conquered the grave um you know all the other people that uh, people tend to pray to either never existed or or um, are are dead in a grave beyond that mm-hmm. there's the relationship piece of it that should also just absolutely keep us dumbfounded and, and in awe and in gratefulness, but he teaches us about relationship in prayer. And so we we uh, when we become a parent or when we are married or in any sort of relationship with when we have friends, think about how important communication is, um, how important it is to talk to one another, to listen to one another, not just the words you say, but the way you say it and so to to think about that, and um i'll I'll use the example I know not everyone can identify with it, but we certainly can, um, even as a good neighbor, as a mentor, as a coach, as a youth pastor, but as a parent, it wouldn't matter how much my children screamed and through a fit and pled i want it i want it i want it if it wasn't good for them if it wasn't safe for them if it wasn't you know <laughs> if it wasn't going to keep them on the on the right course of life there's no way that i would have just winked at him and gone okay you can have it you know i'm not going to hand my child a knife or let him get in the kitchen when grease is popping or you know whatever there's there's a safety and a love in the word, no, and, and also a process of not yet. You're not ready. You're not old enough. You're not mature enough. You don't know enough. So no, you, you can't drive the car until this particular age. Um, yes, someday, but not now. And, um, and to understand that a loving Heavenly Father whose ways and thoughts are higher than ours That uh, I've said this to you before over and over. I think about it throughout the pandemic. God, what are you up to? God, what are you up to? And he goes, well, why don't you come up and see? Mm -hmm. And we're invited to listen and we're invited to learn. And he teaches us in his scripture. When you don't know what to say to him, say his scripture, say his words back to him, because then you know you're praying truth and you're praying his will be done. And um, I, I just think about that a, a, a lot. Um, it, that that my prayers need to be relational. And no one wants a friend, no one wants a family member that the only time they talk to them is when they want something and they want their way.
0: Yeah, that's exactly right. All right, we got to take a very brief break. When we when we come back, we're going to talk about getting back to school and getting back to prayer. We're also going to talk about the National Day of Prayer Summit. That's up next. You're on Mornings with Carmen. Continuing my conversation with Kathy Branzell from the National Day of Prayer Task Force. You can find the National Day of Prayer at nationaldayofprayer.org. Kathy, if we visited there right now, we would find information about the summit, what's happening
2: Yes, we're so excited to be back together in person. Uh, We haven't been together in person since we were uh, there in Minneapolis two years ago. And so for all of our prayer warriors out there, our coordinators, anyone who um, helps to organize, uh, even our our state coordinators and our national area leaders will be there. But even if you uh, organize an event right there in your city or at your church, we would love for you to join us. For three days in St. Louis, Missouri. And you can get more information right there at nationaldayofprayer.org. It's on our front page, scrolling through. Um, You can click on that and find out how you can join us. Come and pray with us. Uh, Come get trained uh, deeper as a coordinator. There will be a lot of information and inspiration. Uh, Come meet some fellow prayer warriors that you can lock shields with. And we'd love to have you September 9th. Uh, we begin at dinner time and go through Sunday the twelfth. Uh, right after our church service, we'll be finished up before noon. We'd love to have you.
0: All right, and let's talk about you. Know, this like back to school season that we find ourselves in. Um, it's a wonderful time to call people back to prayer, praying for yes. our schools, praying for our students, praying for our teachers and administrators. Just you know, just I don't know, maybe just issue a, a back to school, back to prayer. Challenge.
2: Yes. Um, oh so many. I I can't believe we're already back to school. That's mind blowing. Um <laughs> so a lot of things. I, I, I challenged you last year. I remember uh that if when when you saw a school bus or you drove through a a school zone you know you're going 20 miles an hour or whatever the rate is nice and slow to pray your way through the school zone pray for that school pray for the students the teachers the administrators the decision makers pray for your superintendent know those people by name know who your school board is at your church the kids that you um, wave to on sunday or pat on the back or help volunteered in vacation bible school or backyard bible clubs or camp this year go to them and ask them how can i pray specifically for you this year and and would you come and give me some prayer requests so i can pray for you throughout the year and if you're having a hard day i just want you to remember i'm praying for you let's do that let's pray for people by name pray for teachers by name Um, also, families, we um, have been encouraging you all summer and even before to, to establish a family prayer time, that that could have been a habit that you started this summer. Now that school's starting back, you need to strengthen it, not suspend it. Uh, so many of us who got to drive our kids to school or get to drive our kids to school, they get in the car in the afternoon, you go, How's your day? Fine. What'd you learn today? Not much. Okay, we can go back to the high-low game. What was the best part of your day? What was the high point? And teach them to praise God in the high points, to thank him, to see him, to know that he's with them at school. What was the low point of your day? Was Was there anything that was really challenging? Was there any point in your day that was hurtful? And then you take that to God, and you can pray your way home. You can pray your way to school. Before school, after school, dinner time, homework time, make sure that you are raising up students who pray and are students of prayer so that when you're not there, when things happen at school, they immediately turn again to the hands that move the universe and they pray about their situations, their decisions, uh, their hurts, their fears so that they feel safe. They feel loved at school, and their brain turns on, and they can learn, and they are disciples of Jesus all the way through their school day.
0: Lunchboxes, lunch lunch bags, um, all Mm -hmm. kinds of places where you can tuck a prayer reminder in for your child or your grandchild. Pray for them as you're packing their lunch. Um, Pray that Christ would be made known to others in the breaking of that bread. Whether it's bread or not, um, I uh, I took a load of snacks yesterday to my son's school um, because I know that in the middle of the afternoon um, they can have a snack if their classroom teacher has a snack for them to have. And so uh, I loaded her up yesterday, awesome. and as I was buying those snacks and then as I was getting you know putting them in bags to deliver them. Um, I'm praying over the child that's going to eat that snack. I don't know when that's going to happen. I don't know the circumstances of the life of that child, but somebody's going to eat that snack. And when they do, that's going to be a snack that has already been prayed over. And so, you know, my kid is probably, uh, in fact, highly likely to not remember to pray at lunch, right? Prays at dinner, like it's a practice of prayer around the family table. But you know, is he remembering to do that when he opens his lunchbox? Well, he is, if I have a little encouraging um note. And I can, you know, you know, you can write it on the outside of the Ziploc bag with a Sharpie. I'm praying for you. It doesn't have to be something fancy. Um, and if we find ways to encourage our kids throughout the day to remind them that they're prayed, prayed for, prayed up, um, that we're praying for them, that we're looking forward to seeing them at the end of the day, that the lunch that we've made is um, you know, is 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 itself a gift of God. Um, I just I think there are very simple ways to do this. I think we make it so hard.
2: And even um, make it a practice for yourself as well, so that you and your child are prayer partners in mm. some sort of agreement prayer, and so in uh, wanting them to know more about God, going back to our very first conversation this morning of who are we praying to, find a scripture verse that gives a description of God, His attributes there's hundreds of them. And so your your thing, your note might say, uh, "God is your waymaker." Well, then that mm-hmm. song's going to be stuck in their head all day. I love that. Um, "God is your refuge. God is your strength. God is your sun and your shield, your direction and your protection. God is, God is, God is." Amen. And, and plant those seeds We have to of stop. I
0: I completely ran over the last break, so we have to stop because we have six seconds. We love you. Kathy Branzell, thank you so much. NationalDayOfPrayer.org. Thanks for listening to this podcast of Mornings with Carmen LeBurge from Faith Radio. If you haven't, you can subscribe to automatically receive the podcast through iTunes or the Google Play Music app. That way you never miss an episode. It's also available anytime at MyFaithRadio.com.